The Bible reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and it's found on page 1034. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and walk home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, sitting at his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thanks, Francis. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we come to this part of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that we can meet Jesus in your word, that we see who he is and what he's come to do and hear his call. We ask that as we come to this part of your word now, that you would give us understanding and grow us in faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, this here is Professor Georgina Long and Professor Richard Scolia. Uh, on Australia Day this year, they were named the 2024 Australians of the Year for their life-saving innovations in the treatment of melanoma. Because of their work, advanced melanoma is no longer a fatal diagnosis, but potentially curable. Uh, 
They've dedicated their careers to saving lives from cancer and they want to save everyone that they can. Now, let's imagine something for a moment. This isn't real, but let's imagine that the government gives these two a blank cheque to open up a melanoma treatment facility. Everything is paid for. The supplies, the treatments, the staff, everything. All that needs to happen is for people to come. Now imagine that first melanoma patient comes through the door. They're desperately sick. There's no other hope. And through this treatment, the patient is cured, saved, no sickness at all. How do you think Professor Long and Professor Scolia would feel? Would they be grumpy and defensive? Far out. I hate sick people. Glad you better. Get out of here. <laughs> no way. I think they'd be overjoyed. Overjoyed that their treatment has saved a life. Overjoyed that this is what they're all about. They've dedicated their careers to saving sick people. This is what they want to do. Now let's imagine that another patient gets referred to the facility but doesn't come. No, I'm too sick. They won't want sick people like me to come. How do you think they'd react to that? They'd say, no, come, we have everything you need. We can treat it. It's all free. All you need to do is come. They would want them to come, no matter how sick they are, right? Or what about another patient who's sick as a dog, it's plain as day to everyone around them, the pro their prognosis is awful, the doctor refers them to the, to the facility, but they say, no, nah, I'm not sick. I don't need this. I'm fine just as I am. Thank you very much. I'm sure that would frustrate these guys. They have the cure. They can help. All the person needs to do is admit that they need their help and come. Now, I don't know Long and Scolia, but I'm, I'm sure if they had those kind of resources, they would want everyone who needs it to come. They've dedicated their careers to this. It would bring them great joy. And we see something like that here in Matthew chapter 9. Except this isn't about doctors treating melanoma. This is about Dr. Jesus who has come to save sinners. Over the last few weeks, we've been seeing how Jesus has been proclaiming and demonstrating his kingdom and calling people to follow him. We've seen him calm storms and drive out demons. We've heard how his ultimate authority calls us to respond with ultimate allegiance and trust. We've seen him moved with compassion to heal the sick, and he can heal them, even from a distance with just a word. But Jesus hasn't come to heal the sick. No, his healings have always been meant to point to the bigger problem that Jesus has come to deal with, the problem of sin. And now in this week's passage, Jesus shows that for us clearly. And Jesus himself uses a picture of a doctor. A doctor who hasn't come to hang out with healthy people. He hasn't come to hang out with good religious people. He's come to call and forgive sinners. We're going to see that this morning over three appointments Dr. Jesus has in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to see that Jesus has come to call and forgive sinners, so come to him. All right, we've got a fully booked list today, so we'd better get started. Let's start with appointment number one, authority to forgive. Now, after calming the storm and driving out the demons that we saw last week, Jesus goes back to his home base in Capernaum. 
And it seems that Jesus is taking walk-ins or carry-ins because his first appointment gets carried in on a stretcher. Verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is an odd treatment plan, isn't it? The man is presenting with symptoms of paralysis, but Jesus talks about forgiveness of sins. Why would he do that? Well, again, I think Jesus is being deliberately shocking here, like we saw last week. He's using this as an opportunity to teach. By now, people know that Jesus has the power and authority to heal the sick. He's been doing it all over town. That's why this, that's why this whole group, including the paralytic, come to Jesus in faith. But Jesus wants them to see that these healings are actually about something greater. And there is some sense to what Jesus says here, actually. See, sickness isn't a normal part of the good world that God made. Sickness exists in the world because of sin and as a result of our rebellion against God. Now, it's not that this man's specific paralysis is because of a specific sin in his life. It doesn't work like that but he's sick because he lives in a sinful, fallen world and he's a sinful, fallen human being too. That's especially the case because this is in Israel, God's chosen people. After God rescued them out of Egypt, he made a covenant with them, a promise to be their God and they would be his people. And they agreed to live as God's people by keeping his commands. If they obeyed, they would be blessed by God and they'd be fruitful and healthy and prosper if they disobeyed, they would face a curse. They would face sickness and trouble and ultimately exile, cast out of the land. The fact that there are so many sick people in Israel at the time of Jesus is a symptom of their failure to keep God's commands and to live as his people. And so it's not totally out of the blue when Jesus talks to this guy about forgiveness of sins, but it is still shocking. Some of those sitting around are definitely shocked Verse 3, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Now, these are the experts in God's word, and they're, the kind, and they're kind of right. They know that it's God's prerogative to forgive sin, because all of our sin is not just against other people, but ultimately against God himself as the ruler and creator of all things. So, he is the one who has the power and authority to forgive. But Jesus is showing them his authority to forgive, and so he poses them a question. Verse 4, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? Which is easier? Well, if you're lying, it's definitely easier to talk about forgiveness, right? Because there's no way that that can be proved or disproved now. You can pretend. But Jesus isn't lying. And the reality is that it's easier to talk about healing than to forgive sins because only God alone has the authority and power to forgive sins. Only God can do that. But how can they know that Jesus is telling the truth? Well, he gives them a demonstration that they won't forget. Verse 6, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. 
Jesus heals this guy to demonstrate that he has the authority to forgive sins. And it works. Uh, imagine how wobbly you'd be after being paralysed. You know how unsteady you feel just when you get out of bed first thing in the morning? How would you feel after you've been paralysed? How sore, how much your muscles would need rehab? But not this guy. This guy just gets up, picks up his mat and walks home. No worries. And the crowds around, they see the bigger significance. Verse 8. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. See their response? First, they're afraid. Who is Jesus? Who is this guy in their midst? I don't think they fully get it yet, but this is God the Son himself. He has the authority to heal and forgive because he is Emmanuel, God with us. They're right to be afraid. The fear of God is a right response to his power and authority, especially if he's standing right next to you. And second, they glorify God because he has given the authority and power to forgive to this man, Jesus, the Son of Man. So they praise God. Jesus has the authority to forgive. And not just the authority, but he's able to forgive fully and freely because he is going to go to the cross to die to pay the price for our sins. He's going to take the penalty that we deserve so that we can be counted forgiven and righteous through faith in him. And he's going to rise again on the third day to show the price has been paid in full. He is vindicated as God's promised king and he can give life to the spiritually dead. That's what he's done. This is a great comfort for us too. We are all sinners. Doesn't matter how religious you are, how long you've been around church, how good a person you are, all of us are sinners. We all need forgiveness. But Jesus has authority to forgive and he's able to forgive all who come to him in faith. Do you feel the weight of your sins this morning? Are there things that have happened this month, this week, even this morning that weigh you down? Things that you'd rather not think about because of the shame? Jesus' words to the paralytic can ring true for us too. If you trust in Jesus, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Be comforted. Feel the relief. He has borne our shame, taken our guilt, paid for our sins. If we trust in him, we are fully and freely forgiven. But what if my sins are too great? What if my shame too strong? Does Jesus actually want me to come to him? Well, that brings us to our second appointment. Appointment two, the call to follow. This one's only a short appointment. This time, Jesus calls into Matthew's workplace. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, there's some context that we need to understand here, right? Matthew's a tax collector, and that's not like working for the ATO. In Jesus' day, Israel was under enemy occupation. They were under the rule of the Romans. They were under foreign kings who served the emperor. Tax collectors were collaborators, traitors. They were working with the enemies of God's people. 
And what's more, they were often corrupt. They would inflate the taxes so they could skim off the top and line their own pockets. They were counted as sinners alongside prostitutes and thieves. So Jesus, walking along the road, sees Matthew the tax collector sitting in his booth doing his work and Jesus calls him to follow. He calls this sinner, this tax collector, a collaborator, he calls him to be his disciple and to follow him. And look at Matthew's response. He rises and follows Jesus and he, he must be, continue following Jesus because this is the same Matthew who wrote this book so we could see who Jesus is. Last week, we saw Jesus call people to go and follow him across the lake. Do you remember what they said? One of the scribes, he was really keen, but he didn't count the cost. And Jesus warned him that following him would mean trouble and difficulty. Another guy wanted to delay, but Jesus told him to follow straight away. And we didn't see how those fair weather followers responded. But Matthew's response is a great contrast. He gets up and he follows Jesus. Other Gospels say he left everything. He's willing to leave it all to follow Jesus. Jesus, you know, he is the only one in history who really could act holier than thou, right? He was perfectly holy and righteous. God's own son. He lived a perfect life, tempted in every way just as we are, but he never sinned. If anyone could claim to not stand being around sinners, it's Jesus. But Dr. Jesus comes to call and to forgive sinners. And we see that here. Jesus calls this sinner to follow him. Doesn't matter how sinful you are, how much baggage you've got, what you've been caught up in the past, Jesus calls sinners to come follow him. He called Matthew and he calls you and I too. That's what he's come to do, to call sinners. And he spells that out in the next appointment. Appointment three, mercy for the sick. Jesus didn't just call Matthew to follow him, but then keep him at arm's length. This wasn't just a business arrangement. Jesus loves Matthew. He ends up eating with Matthew and all of his friends. Look in verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew doesn't tell us whose house they're at, maybe because he's being humble, but, but Luke says it's a great feast at Matthew's house. And it's not just Matthew. Heaps of Matthew's own friends come and, and share in the feast. Tax collectors and sinners. Imagine the scene. There's traitors, prostitutes, thieves, drunkards, all sorts of sinners are there at the party. Jesus, he's right in the middle, eating and drinking with them. Let's not miss how significant this is. In those days, to eat and drink with someone was a significant sign of relationship. Jesus is not approving of these people's sin, but by eating with them, he is loving them. That's why the Pharisees are so scandalized. They're all about keeping God's law, about ritual purity. They're shocked that Jesus would eat with these people. And they ask his disciples about it, but it's not a real question, it's an accusation. But Jesus uses their shock to explain what he's come to do. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus came for sinners. He used this great picture of a physician or a doctor. Doctors are there for the sick, not for the healthy. That's their whole purpose. When sick people come to a doctor, it's not a big inconvenience. It's a whole reason they're a doctor. Remember how we imagined at the beginning about Professors Long and Scolia, their goal to save people from cancer? When people who are sick with cancer come to them, they don't get grumpy. They don't see them as an inconvenience. They would be overjoyed. Their goal is being fulfilled. But Jesus isn't only talking about people who are physically sick. He's not talking about people who are physically sick. Spells it out in verse 13. He's come to call sinners. Jesus has come for the spiritually sick. Those who have rebelled against God. Those who have turned away from his commands, who have done things that they shouldn't have done or not done the things that they should have. When sinners come to Jesus in faith, he doesn't get grumpy at the inconvenience. He doesn't grudgingly accept them because he has to. This is the whole reason he came. When sinners come to him, he rejoices, he welcomes them, he enters into relationship with them because he loves them. That's why he's feasting with tax collectors and sinners. They are the very ones that he came to save. And this actually shows God's mercy. The kind of mercy that Jesus quotes about from Hosea 6.6. There is no one who's too sick to come to Jesus. Imagine someone says, you don't want to treat me, I'm too sick. A good doctor would say, no, that's why I'm here. I can help you, come. Why then do we say to Jesus... You can't want me to come. I'm too sinful. I've done things I'm ashamed of. I've been violent. I've been angry. I've been greedy and selfish. I'm sexually impure. I've stolen things that don't belong to me. I've manipulated and used others. You can't want me to come, Jesus. I'm too much of a sinner. But Jesus says, come. That's why I came. I came for tax collectors and prostitutes and murderers and thieves. No matter what you've done, come to me. I came to save sinners. And he really can. On that cross, he paid for all of your sin, every last bit. The death of God's own son is enough to pay for it all. He really can forgive you. So whatever it is you've done, Jesus wants you to come. He's calling you to trust in him. He offers you full and free forgiveness. He came for sinners, so come to him. And if you've come to Jesus in faith already, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. You are loved and welcomed by Jesus. Now, he loves you enough not to just leave you as you are, he calls you to keep turning away from sin and turning to him in faith. And he's working in you by his Holy Spirit to make you more like him. But even though he doesn't leave you as you are, he loves you just as you are. So rest in and enjoy the full and free forgiveness of Jesus. But Jesus' words here actually cut two ways. Jesus is not just saying that he's come for sinners... He's actually showing the Pharisees that they are sinners too. He's showing that he has come for everyone. 
And that's not what it seems at first glance, right? At first glance, it sounds like Jesus is saying the Pharisees don't need him. The well don't need a doctor. He's come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. But there is a sting in Jesus' instructions to them. Jesus tells the religious experts of the day, the guys who are really zealous about keeping God's law, he tells them to go and learn. Ouch. And he tells them to go and learn Hosea 6.6. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now, Hosea was a prophet in the lead up to God's people being taken into exile. God's not saying through Hosea, look, don't worry about sacrifice, just do mercy. No, he's saying that they are outwardly obeying the law, but inwardly they are full of disobedience. They are bringing sacrifices, but the very priests who are doing this are participating in robbery and murder. They are faithless towards God. They're exploiting the poor. Their sacrifices and religious good works are just a front for evil. And so God warns them of the judgment that's coming. He tells them it's not mere sacrifice he wants, it's genuine mercy, real knowledge of God, loving him and caring for his people. So when Jesus quotes this verse at the Pharisees, he's not just saying that they need to figure out how to be more merciful like he is. He's saying that they are like Israel before the exile. They are like the ones who made God's judgment necessary. Far from being the righteous ones who don't need him, they are like the faithless priests who are committing murder and robbery while they put on a show before God. Ouch. These words of Jesus should sting. Jesus isn't saying, you don't really need me, guys. He's saying, go and see how much you desperately need me. See how you are just as much sinners as these guys. It's like the melanoma patient we imagined at the beginning. I'm fine, I don't need a doctor, don't worry about it, when they are very, very sick. That's what the Pharisees are doing. Cough, cough, Jesus, why are you hanging out with all these sick people? Sniffle, cough, that's gross. Jesus didn't just come for wild living sinners. He came for religious people too. We all need Jesus. Whether our sin is sexual promiscuity or religious self-righteousness, whether our sin is greed or arrogant pride, we all need Jesus and he's calling all of us. Is this you? Are you the one who's saying, I don't need Jesus, I'm a good person? I've come to church all my life, I've served on so many rosters, I've given a charity into the church, I'm actually a pretty good person, really. Glad that Jesus is there for sinners, but I don't need him. I'm not sick. If that's you, I've got bad news. You are desperately, spiritually sick. Sin is not just the bad things that we do. It is turning away from God to live our own way. And rejecting God's salvation through Jesus is absolutely rejecting God. You are spiritually sick, and it's terminal. The consequence for our sin is death. Not just physical death, but facing God's righteous judgment for all eternity. But I've also got good news. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to come and follow him.
to trust him and find full and free forgiveness. Jesus came to save self-righteous religious people too. And he calls you to him. Don't put it off. You need Jesus. You need a doctor. Run to him. And if you trust in him, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. He loves you and calls you to follow him. Three appointments to show us one good doctor. Jesus, the one who has authority to forgive sins. The one who calls sinners to follow him. The one who gives mercy to those who are sick. The one who calls all of us to realise that we desperately need him. He calls those who think they're too sinful for him and he calls those who think they don't need him. He calls all sinners to come to him and find full and free forgiveness. So come to Jesus. He's calling you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy and grace to us in Jesus. Thank you that he came to save sinners. Forgive us for our sin, Lord. Whether it's wild living rebellion against you or self-righteous religious rebellion against you, forgive us, Lord, we pray. Thank you for the full and free forgiveness that we find in Jesus. Help us all to come to him in faith, to trust him and to rest in his words. Take heart, your sins are forgiven. In his name we pray. Amen.